Yeah. Let's put your hand together for her. Is that, am I on? Not yet? I am now. Hey, I'll just pray for you, if that's right. Cool. Lord, I thank you for the call on Tara's life. Thank you that she has uh, responded to that and stepped into this role of, um, yeah, children's family pastor. And, um, but Lord, today she's just bringing a word from you. And I pray that um, that word is something that speaks to each one of us. Lord, that you would just speak your words through Tara this morning. And, um, that we would be blessed, that we would each take away something that you're saying to us today. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Caleb. Oh, better get my notes. Oh, I don't know what it is. I know in my heart that I know most of you, and you're all pretty friendly, but as soon as I stand up here, my body betrays me, and my voice betrays me, and I feel all nervous. So I've brought my emotional support water bottle, and um, the preschool teacher within me sort of feels the innate urge to shake the sillies out, but um, I'll spare you from that as well. <laughs> you can all shake them out with me. Oh. Um, so today we'll be looking at um, Matthew chapter 9, 9 to 13, and we'll be reading it from the NIV version. But, so if you want to get out your, your phones or your Bibles, or um, it will soon be on the, um, the screen as well. Uh, these four verses are um, all about the calling of Matthew the Apostle. And before we dive into the text, I um, just wanted to have a little preamble of, the, of some of the context. So the four verses that we'll look at today are preceded, obviously, by the beginning of the chapter, verses 1 to 8, which Seb so beautifully preached on back at the end of October. So I'm quite happy that there was a bit of a gap that I didn't have to back on that. Um, We learn in in those um, first eight verses that Jesus is arriving back in Capernaum, his own city, where um, men bring to him a paralyzed man on a mat, And Jesus forgives and heals the man on the spot. And this is him just continuing to establish his divine authority and power to forgive sins. So let's read from verse verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. In his message, Seb likened to uh, Capernaum to Twizel. Don't worry, that wasn't my only takeaway from your message, Seb. Um, This was based on the population size and I guess also being near a lake. Coming from Oxford, a small town of similar population proportions, I can tell you a thing or two about life in a small town, especially how fast the information grapevine goes. Everybody knows everybody's business and a kid. And as a kid, it was pretty hard to get away with anything because it would always get back to mum and dad. 
I remember one night, mum and dad went to a church meeting, and when they came home, they sat down one of my brothers and asked him about what happened that day, and he claimed nothing. <laughs> they got out of him that he actually had a detention given that day, and he wasn't really easily giving up any information of how he received this detention. Um, mum and dad told him about how one of his classmates had gone home and shared with her parents over dinner what the antics he'd been up to that day, and the parents shared with uh, her parents shared with my parents the antics of their son. So what had happened that day is my brother got into a tug of war with his teacher over his school bag, and as the you know back and forth, Kyle right at the right moment he managed to let go of the bag and the teacher went flying backwards and fell down and the rubbish bin landed on top of his head. <laughs> Pretty epic. So, great story, but I think my parents were perhaps a bit more, um, like, less impressed by the fact that they found out what had happened through the small town grapevine. So back to our small town or city of Capernaum where Jesus is walking and saw Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Um, it stands within reason um, with Capernaum being Jesus' home base that Matthew already knows who Jesus is, that he knows what Jesus has been up to. He may not know him personally, but he'll know of him. So just like my brother's reputation of being a bit of a scallywag at school preceded him for the rest of his school years, and my poor sister who followed as well, having to sit at the front of the class because of who her brother was, <laughs> Jesus' reputation of being a teacher, a healer, casting out demons, and forgiving sins would have preceded him. Knowing all this has so far not changed Matthew's heart outwardly as he is still a tax collector which the Bible has a few references of um, to how much tax collectors were despised as they were often spoken about hand-in-hand hand with sinners, Gentiles, or just with people who had been ostracized. Tax collectors were people who were working on behalf of Rome, which meant they were traitors. They were working for their oppressors, um, working to enrich their coffers rather than fighting against them. To make money as a tax collector, you had to add a little bit to the top of the taxes that you were collecting so that you could skim it off and keep that for yourself. Um, Zacchaeus in Luke 19.8 mentions cheating people on taxes. You didn't just apply for the job to become a tax collector, you had to bid to become a tax collector. So wealthy Jews were, were bidding for the position, paying for the position of becoming a tax collector. So essentially, to me, this is a bit of a red flag to a greedy heart, as these people are bidding to pay for the right to take money off their fellow countrymen to add to their own wealth. We don't know much about Matthew at this point other than what his job is, which perhaps speaks volumes to what his character be, may be like. He may be greedy or selfish, dishonest, manipulative, perhaps even lonely because he's being ostracized from the rest of his Jewish community. Maybe he even has a bit of self-loathing for what he's done or doing. Like I say, we don't know this for a fact. I'm just making some reading between the lines assumptions here. So far, we have our city of Capernaum, and we have our man Matthew going about his daily job, and we have Jesus who has just come from healing and forgiving the paralyzed man. 
I'll just read verse 9 again. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got, got up and followed him. Jesus saw a man named Matthew. For such a little word, it actually packs a lot of punch. The Greek word for this text, um, for, in the text for saw, and I know I'm going to butcher this, so I'm sorry, but it, I think it's pronounced hurrah, which means to see, to perceive, to attend to, discern. It is often used in the text with metaphorical meaning, to see with the mind, to see with an inward spiritual perception. Jesus didn't just walk past Matthew or come across him. He saw him. He could see who he was. He could see um, who he was. He could see who he could be. And Jesus attended to that by saying to him, follow me. As Charles Spurgeon says, Matthew's call was sublimely simple. I love that word, sublimely. Matthew's call was sublimely simple. Few were the words, clear was the direction, personal was the address, and royal was the command. Follow me. Simply said, but so much conveyed. Follow me, says, I see you. The you of now, and the you of who you can be. It speaks mercy, it speaks grace. It speaks forgiveness. As it commands him to step out of one lifestyle and welcome him into another. So Matthew answered by getting up and following him. In Luke's account, in chapter um, 5, verse 29, um, Luke says that Matthew left everything. Not just simply getting up and following him, but he left everything. So we'll just... Um, I need water, not emotional support. I think I'm going okay. Um, from verse 10, let's pick up there. Uh, we see that Matthew is celebrating this transformation by inv inviting Jesus over to dinner in his house. Luke again uh, embellishes on Matthew's humble account. Luke's saying that Matthew didn't just have him to dinner, but he held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. So Jesus here is honoring his new master, his new teacher, his new friend by hosting a banquet for him, to which tax collectors and sinners came to as well. As the host of this banquet, Matthew has either invited them in or he's, if they've gatecrashed his party, he's at least allowed them to stay so that they too can have the opportunity to encounter, to experience, to be seen by the, uh, through the same lens of transforming power and of love, grace and mercy that Matthew had that day. Not even a day into his new life and Matthew was already on the case of sharing the love of Jesus to those around him. When questioned why he's, he is eating, fellowshipping, partying with these people by the Pharisees, Jesus answered, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Um, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, is in reference to um, Hosea 6, verse uh, 6, which we've got up here, and this is the NLT translation. 
I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. To me, this speaks to the truth that we know as Christians, that we cannot please God through our works alone. He wants us to know him. And in knowing God, uh, which is in part um, being in awe of his majesty, of trusting in his promises that he has for us, and submitting to his will, and knowing his goodness, knowing him like this, loving him like this, loving him for this, pleases him more than sacrifices that are done just because we are meant to. I don't know if you've heard or had to make a child apologize to someone, and that typical, sorry, doesn't mean quite as much, does it, as someone who is a child that contritely offers their apology, knowing that they've done something wrong. Jesus isn't interested in us just dotting the I's and crossing the T's because that is what we think a good Christian does. He wants us, wants us to show our love through the depths of our relationship with him. I feel like I personally know a little bit about crossing, oh, I'm going to say that the wrong way around, dotting the I's and crossing the T's. And also a bit about feeling guilty and unworthy for not being able to do that. Last year, definitely not my favourite year of all time, um, it was a bit of a roller coaster that seemed for, a, for at least the first beginning of the year on a forever downward slope. And then all of a sudden I answered my own call of follow me and I was projected out of it. Most of you know I'm just two weeks into my new role here as the Children and Families Pastor at SABC. And it's definitely not something that I thought that I would be saying this time last year. If I remember correctly, having a children's pastor was on the cards before Pastor Paul started his interim role here in May last year. And it certainly became a highlighted need for him. Um, that was something that we needed here. So here I am, on one hand, not batting an eyelid at the need for the uh, church, other than just to pray for the right person to come. And then on the other hand, I'm languishing away, feeling that, as though I'm stuck in a holding pattern, knowing that there's something more, that my time as an early childhood teacher is wrapping up, and that the next step will have something to do with church, but I wasn't sure what, but not being a children's pastor. So sometime in the middle of the year, I go to an intercessors meeting, and the, on the agenda, of course, like it has been for the past few months, is to pray for a children's pastor. And someone pipes up that actually the elders have changed the role, and now it is children's and families pastor. And as soon as I hear that phrase, it's like I've got a spiritual gut punch, like it's just, ooh, and I just knew that that was for me. That sometimes, I don't know if you have that, but that's sometimes how God talks to me, a bit of a spiritual gut punch. But, um, yeah, so that happened. And I can tell you what, I was the most unfocused prayer in the group that morning. I guess I kept questioning, even though I knew that hit, was it really for me? And I think I was hoping for uh, something more, for some from validation from someone else, for maybe someone to step out in a prophetic act and be like, Tara Elizabeth Morris, I hereby dub you the pastor of Children's and Families at St. Norman's Baptist. But of course, that didn't happen. I did, however, focus on what the others were praying for this new pastor to be. Brilliant prayers, but I managed to quite succinctly dismiss myself as being the answer to each of those prayers. 
So not quite following in Matthew's example of jumping up and leaving everything behind, I personally required more. I required someone else to hear from God for me. Or perhaps it was human approval in this as well. And I was thinking maybe two or three other people to come and tell me would confirm it. Would it be about spiritual and about right, maybe? Well, actually, I did. I got three people. After the church breakfast that we had in August, um, and Pastor Paul was sharing his heart with us about the need for um, a children's and families pastor, someone came up to me and said that I would be perfect for that role. Of course, I immediately dismissed it. Apparently, I needed more. Then I shared my thoughts about um, this in a random conversation with my good friend, who is also my manager at Penny Lane. She was so excited for me, saying that it was my dream job. That's not actually something I'd ever thought I had equated to it, but that it was my dream job and that I had to apply for it. This is my manager talking to me as my friend. And that not to worry about it only being 20 hours because I could still be at Penny Lane for a couple of days a week until I don't need Penny Lane anymore. But I needed to hear more from God. I began to catch myself in daydreams, thinking about what the ministry could look like, the impact it could have within our church, the gifts and the, uh, the talents building within our precious little ones. Because of where I felt I was at on this downward sloping roller coaster, I didn't think I was um, in the position or didn't think I was worthy enough to put my hand up for this role. And then John Ferguson came uh, to our church to speak to us in early September. And one thing he said that just stuck with me was that God wasn't looking for ability, but he was looking for availability. This, along with the the daydream, spurred me along to ask a friend uh, to help me with my CV. And can I tell you, putting a CV and a cover letter together after 10 years of not having to do one is a pretty daunting task. The more that we patiently got through matching the skills of what I have in my current job to the job description, the more excited I got, because it wasn't not just the obvious skills of being good with children, but there were other skills that um, jumped out as well that married up to, um, to what I could be in this role. But apparently, I still needed more, and I sat on that CV for a couple of days. This was during the week of prayer and fasting that we had specifically for the children and pastors role children and family pastor role. You might. Um, I went to the final prayer meeting that week and told, and uh, one of my friends at work was asking me what I was up to that evening and I said what I was doing. And her response was the third person that I needed. T, that's your dream job. Tell me you're applying for it. That's your dream job. You have to apply. Then just to hammer it home, I'd been recalling the time that I did the Firestarters course probably five or six years ago with Robert and Pastor John out. Um, And both John and Robert on separate nights had a word for me that I had a set of keys that would unlock doors for for many people. And as I was reminiscing on this word, I was sort of thinking like, has that happened? How has that happened? How can I steward this word? And why is it fresh in my memory after five or six years? At that prayer meeting, the final prayer that was prayed was that God would send along a person with a set of keys that would unlock doors for the children and families within our church. 
Jill's fried. The next day, application sent off. I got, I got all what I needed to, to follow Jesus. That weekend, I decided to drive out to see my parents in Oxford. And as I switched the radio off from the crew chats that were going on and found the sweet voice of Brooke Fraser singing Hosanna, it um, flowed into a bit of, I guess, free worship where she was singing, and I won't sing for you, don't worry. Let us run with perseverance. Let us make way for those who are to come. Every generation, every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. When with one voice they will sing Hosanna. And I've heard that song multiple times, and it always impacted me, but that moment I was bawling my eyes out, and I'm so thankful that Tram Road is the straightest road in the world. (laughs) I was invested now. There was another spiritual gut punch. I'd gone from trying to discern if this was the right role for me, and even though the application was like, only in to knowing that God was drawing me into this. If the band could come up now, that would be great. Matthew's response to follow me was a lot swifter than what my response obviously was. And I'm sure amongst us here, there are varying degrees of us deciphering of what God is saying to us in in the response to his call of follow me. Maybe it's follow me into his kingdom for the first time. Maybe it's follow me into the dream that he's been placing on your heart for a long time. Maybe it's follow me into completely something new. But I tell you this, God sees you. Not just who you are, not just who you were, but also who you can be through his redemptive love. You know, as a tax collector, Matthew would have had to be really accurate in his bookkeeping skills, and he would have also needed to know how to write, which I know is not a skill set that many was available to many at that time. God used these skills of accuracy and penmanship for Matthew to be able to write the first account of the gospel in the Bible, being the book of Matthew. I may have felt like I was in a holding pattern for a good couple of years, but in that time I was given different roles and different tasks, not just in my workplace, but in church and in my personal life as well. Those those roles or tasks have definitely grown my skill set and will surely come in handy as I get my feet in this new role here. Matthew is a beautiful illustration of the gospel. He was a tax collector, a sinner, but Jesus saw him. He came for him. He reached out for him. He said, follow me, not despite his past, but because of it. Because he was a sinner, because he was sick of the heart or the soul, he needed a physician. He needed Jesus, the physician, to come and heal him. Just as um, Jesus' reputation would have preceded him in Capernaum, I'm sure his reputation precedes him here for most of you all today. And you already know about his great works. You may have already know, you know, encountered and known about his love. 
but my question now is what will you do about his call of follow me over your life right now? Thank you. Can you stand with us?